0: Original gangsters. There's a small number of them in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency world, and today we're privileged to speak with one of them about all things crypto. From Bitcoin and Ethereum to DeFi and NFTs, Jamie Burke has many thoughts and words to share. We've got some decent questions as well. Some are more decent than others, and some may be indecent. We talk, you decide. Thoughts and words are coming your way, so fasten your seatbelt and don't forget to check your rear view mirror for episode number 499 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's that? Travis,
1: check your mirror before you back up.
0: Oh, damn it. You just ran over a little bunny.
1: Oh, man. Hey, I actually have a story. Not a bunny, but whenever I was in driver's ed, um, two people in my driver's ed over the course of the two weeks of driving, uh, two of us happened to kill birds while driving, which (laughs) is how hard it is to kill a bird while driving. I've never killed another bird since. And then I killed one and my buddy, Brian Smith killed one. One of them got stuck in the grill. With the never same car? Never happened every other time. I thought it was going to be a regular occurrence. Seemed to me, but it's <laughs> never happened since.
0: <laughs> Go for a drive, kill a bird. Did you, was it both with the same vehicle?
1: It was both with the same vehicle and it was over a two week time period. I think it was a Ford Taurus.
0: So you killed two birds with one car. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but okay. over two weeks. So it's not at the same time.
0: All right. Well, welcome to the Bird Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Com, and that is Bird Killer Travis Wright.
1: <laughs> I have killed another bird before. Um, there was a bird sitting on a wire, and I literally I yelled at it because it shit on my car. And then uh, it was just, it looked like it was laughing at me. And I shit you not, <laughs> I pick up a stone. This was like about five years ago. I pick up a stone, a little tiny little stone, and I just I'm like I'm going to throw it at this bird. I know I'm going to. It's going to fly away. He's not, I'm not going to hit the bird because the birds are always done. Nope. Hit him right in the head. He flopped right over and died. I was like, are you kidding me? This is the dumbest bird ever because, like, I was making noise at it, and then I threw it, and I hit him right in his little head, headshot with a stone. Bird went plop. And then I felt bad and had to get a bag and picked him and threw him in the
0: trash. All right. So uh PETA members, you can call the bad crypto hotline at 708 885
1: you're keeping track, that is three dead birds to start this episode. <laughs> 90, Boom.
0: 30. Well, let's make it four because we're on a roll here. Probably about 30 years ago. There was a bird that looked like his, his leg was broken. He had fallen out of the nest. And so I brought him inside because he was he was just he was all moist and you know it was raining. And and I put him on under you know a kind of a, a really light heat lamp to um, to dry him out and and I forgot about him and kind of
1: <laughs> kind of baked him. <laughs> That's good. Speaking of which, I did have a chicken sandwich for dinner. <laughs> Welcome,
0: gang, to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Uh, we're here. You're here. Well, maybe you're still here. I don't know. After all this bird talk, and Big our- left. Our Episode friends. 499,
1: they finally are out. They're like, we're flocking out of here.
0: <laughs> what the flock? Uh, <laughs> our friends at Prime XBT are still here too. They're an award winning Bitcoin based trading platform which offers access to over 50 assets, which don't just include crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Ripple, and EOS, but also Forex and commodities, which include metals, oil, gas, and indices. You, could, you can uh, trade them all from a single account with leverage. Lots of liquidity, instant order execution, and you can have your portfolio all in one place, crypto and traditional markets. Check this out. Use the promo code BAD CRYPTO PODCAST and you get a 50% deposit bonus up to one Bitcoin. It's badco.in forward slash prime XBT. That's badco.in forward slash prime X B to the T.
1: So check this out. One of the crypto OGs, speaking of which, that Joel and I both got into. I think I got into Electronium back in maybe October of 2017 or something like that. And um, it's crazy. I was just actually watching it now. That it looks like the price was about a little over three cents. Finally, it's gotten back up over ICO price, baby. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's cool, best about it, is that freelancers who are on AnyTask.com are getting paid in ETN, Tokens And so hopefully some of them were hodling as the price cruised on up. And if you are needing some artwork done or some different digital tasks done, go to anytask.com. There's thousands of freelancers there. And those tasks start at just one dollar, dollar, dollar bill. uh, Anytask.com.
0: Perfect. All right. Got a great interview for you guys today. Jamie Burke was entertaining and fascinating. He's got a lot to say. And rather than listen to us go on and on about the dead bird count in our world, let's talk to Jamie. It's always fun to talk to the OGs of the space, those who have been here Longer than us. Uh, Some people refer to us as OGs and we're like mini OGs because we've only been doing, you know, the show for about four years, which is OG-ish. But if you want to get OG-er, you want to talk to a fellow named Jamie Burke. He's an early investor in Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs. He's the founder of Outlier Ventures, the first blockchain investment fund in Europe. And uh, he's gone down all kinds of rabbit holes. He's accelerating over 50 startups a year across the NFT and DeFi space. He's a podcaster, a keynote speaker, a panelist, a media commentator. And somehow in the midst of that, he has found time to come to the Republic of Bad Cryptopia to go down rabbit holes with us. Jamie, welcome to Bad Crypto.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: I thought you were gonna say something else profound there. It's like you looked no, like no. you were gonna say something profound.
2: I'm, sa- I'm saving the profound things. The profundity? Exactly, you said it.
0: <laughs> all right, wh- when did you get into this crazy space? Like take us all the way back. I wanna know the first time you heard about Bitcoin.
2: Yeah. Um, well, so if Outlier is eight years old or coming up to eight years old, then it, it would be, I want to say like, let's say nine to 10 years ago, maybe 10. Um, I came across Bitcoin as a consequence of looking at a peer-to-peer money startup. And then I was kind of looking at, well, what technologies would enable peer-to-peer lending and borrowing. And that kind of led me to Bitcoin. I can't actually remember like whether it's just Google searching or somebody mentioned to me, no idea it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and like very quickly, of course, like most people, it clicked and I became at that point, I would say more intellectually interested in it. And it kind of occupied both waking and sleeping state. Um, and then at one point it just felt natural that i had to kind of devote my time to this thing whatever this was going to be um full time if it, it felt like there was a lot of opportunity nobody i knew in my network knew about it were talking about it were even remotely interested in it here in the uk across europe um you know this was like before there were many real meetups it was before the first Bitcoin conference in Europe, in London, which I went to, um, and so it felt super early, felt super intellectual, um, and it also felt bigger than Bitcoin. I mean, I love Bitcoin. I think it's incredibly powerful, but it was also obvious that um, that there would be other implementations and manifestations of DLT, and I wanted to get in on that. So... I, of course, bought some Bitcoin. And then I'm not a technical person in that I'm not a coder. I kind of refer to myself as a creative technologist and kind of understand how things work generally and um, how they might combine or work together. Um, but I needed a, a technical co-founder. It was pretty obvious for me to kind of navigate the space. So I hired... Uh, my kind of founding partner, a guy called Aaron Van Amers, a Dutch guy because he was the least weird uh, technical person I could find who was interested in the stuff who seemed to be remotely commercial. And so I brought him on board and gave him a retainer. I said, look, I don't really know what's going on with this. I'll just put you on a retainer for let's say 18 months, maybe 24 months. And We'll just get some applied learning. We'll start playing with the technology and seeing, seeing what's possible in order to form a thesis. You know, we generally just break stuff. And of course, Ethereum came along and we'd like break that too. And very quickly realized that, I mean, this just stuff was not ready for prime time. Um, and it, it would be several years before we'd be able to invest in businesses on top of this stuff. And then that kind of set us off on the journey and we, we refined the thesis several times as the stacks evolved as the industries evolved and i guess we can unpack that a little bit and and talk about where we've landed now but that's pretty much pretty much the journey you know i mean back then there were no startups to invest in no credible startups it was really bitcoin and eth that was it um and a lot of startups coming along and pitching themselves as a blockchain startup without understanding the fundamentals of the paradigm at all um, and so, uh, yeah, that kind of set, set us off on that journey. And it's been a weird and wonderful, I mean, it's weird to think it's been almost a decade. And that's just weird. Like, my 30s, <laughs> fuck, where did that go?
1: Right. Where did it go? It went to the moon a couple times, right? Well, yeah, right, right. It went to the moon. So, I mean, just to give people some reference, I mean, if you're looking at CoinGecko and Coin Market Cap right now, Bitcoin, Like it looks like the earliest date it wants to even pull up is like April 29th, 2013 when Bitcoin was already $134. But there's been, there have been a lifetime before that from 09 to 2013 when it went through a bunch of different things. But those, the sites are just not even showing that anymore. And so that's how early Mr. Jamie got into this. And uh, that's crazy. So, so let me ask you this, how did you acquire your first Bitcoin? Because I mean, there's... There's a, a lot of different stories on how people acquired their first Bitcoin. Was it Mount Gox? Did you mine some? Did you get on some uh, uh, one of those faucets or something? How did you How did you acquire your first Bitcoin?
2: So I'll, I'll be honest. I got my CTO to do it for me. <laughs> so I was like, ah, I'm not sure I trust myself. You know, w- with this. Certainly at that point, right? And it was. It was it was it was hard, right? You know, and including with with Ethereum, and Ethereum came along to like actually move things around. It's like very, you needed to be pretty technical to be proficient, and you know to, to feel that you, it was secure. So I I literally outsourced it to my CTO. I was like I, you, you kind of do that, and to be honest, with you, that's not changed since. So I you know I, I would say it's probably only really been in the last. Year where I've I've been personally like buying NFTs and having it in my own MetaMask wallet and like comfortable enough to like do that myself and no I'm not going to fuck it up. Um, But like back then I was like
1: like when you send a big when you send a big number like I sent a big number the other day had from one to and I was like ooh super clench oh damn are you gonna arrive please dear lord yeah I mean in all honesty like the last year.
2: I I feel super comfortable now, but like pretty much everything other than the last 12 months, like anything meaningful. I was just like, uh, you know, and if we look at Outlier, we've now got a, a a lot of stuff in a lot of tokens. And we've got, you know, multi-sigs. We've got a team of five people that coordinate that. Um, and thank God it's not me. You know, I, 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 you know at that level, I still wouldn't. Trust myself with it.
0: I'm waiting Hopefully. for the day, Travis, that uh, you ask somebody how they got their Bitcoin, and they're like, well, I have a friend that has a... a um, you know, they deal with the the trash dumps, and they found this computer in Kansas City, and it had a hard drive on it, and they went on this hard drive, and they found 55
2: Bitcoin. So I was and like, I, boom. That would be I I, I I do remember the first time I lost Bitcoin, and I don't know, that... I don't even want to think what that would be worth now. Uh, not, I wouldn't say, but like, it's not millions, right? But it's hundreds of thousands now, probably. Um, and I think, like, as, as soon as I did that, I was like, "Oh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really trust myself with this."
1: And so, mind you know, that three million dollars that I've lost so far. But I want, I want to tell you, folks. So just so you know. Jamie here has been doing this for a decade and now just finally feels comfortable. So sometime in around 2030 you guys will start feeling comfortable with the cryptos. <laughs>
2: <They're> yeah, so- <laughs> But you know and we'll, we'll we'll get to this a little bit later right. Like I think NFTs are a bit of a game changer because it's just it's the gateway drug to 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 wider crypto, right? And and this is why I just don't get why bitcoiners don't like nfts because for me like i know many an artist or creator who have discovered bitcoin as a consequence of nfts and vice versa by the way you know it's not one directional
0: well let's not wait to go down that way you you brought it up and uh i don't neither one of us would disagree with you on this point but want to hear your take why do you say nfts are the gateway and the path to mass
2: adoption well i mean i think you know so let's assume that somebody could figure it out like they could figure out how to take custody of of of, of crypto Like right? you know they had a level of technical proficiency even now and you know they felt comfortable using what are increasingly complex tools like you know a, even a centralized exchange i mean it's overwhelming the amount of features and products that have got on there now and the amount of tokens and it, it, um to to a normie right that that's pretty overwhelming but putting that aside like most people like the average person actually just doesn't really understand money. Um, and they certainly don't understand like the concept of a utility token um, or a settlement layer, like just general concepts, let alone, okay, well, Ethereum is, is potentially a global settlement layer or, you know, Bitcoin is a form of digital money. Um, and so like, I I still believe the majority of people are never going to go to a centralized exchange, let alone a, a DEX, and buy crypto. Right. I wish they would. I, I just, it's, you know, it hasn't happened yet. And, um, and I, and I still think it's unlikely. I think they're more likely to earn it than just go and buy it. Right. And so, however, you look at NFTs, like the concepts behind NFTs, and of course, an NFT can, can be anything, it's almost unlimited use case. But if we look at like what they are today, they're primarily things like collectibles, art, in game items for things like play to earn, um, digital wearables now. Um, you know, these are things that most people get because they're familiar concepts. They're not n- new or strange concepts. Um, and they're vis- generally visual things, they're generally multimedia. So again, it's not like an abstract concept. Here you've got this coin in your wallet it's like here's an image and it's just a digital it's just, you know a, a rare or unique digital image so not only is the concept easier for people to understand it, it's visual and therefore it's viral you know people see these things flying past them on twitter or instagram or tiktok and it like, catches attention um and they're generally for things not always not exclusively but increasingly They're for things that people would collect without ever needing to understand crypto first, right? Of course, there's a degree of trust in the idea that this is somehow secured on a blockchain or it's digitally unique. What does that mean? But I think, you know, most people can overlook the nuance of how and just go, ah, okay, well, if, you know, if if this is digital and it's unique, that's awesome. Um, And so... I think you're you already seeing, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, there have been a number of artists who've gone through, say, Super Rare, who knew nothing about crypto. They went to Super Rare because one of their other artist friends said, hey, you can sell your existing IP. You don't even have to make new IP, right? Uh, you can sell it as a unique digital print. And they're like, huh, that's cool. And it's just another way for them to monetize their their creative output, right? But, of course, in doing so, They've got to figure out. They've got to get a MetaMask because they've got to log into super rare and use a MetaMask. Now that even that barrier is being removed, and things like Nifty Gateway, because it's it's got a fiat on and off ramp. There's still you know centralized elements to it, um, and and so you can think of a lot of these platforms as an NFT equivalent of a either a, a Coinbase or a Binance, right? Uh, except the the things that people are buying and selling are like these multimedia uh, files and formats. Um, And a lot of these creatives, like they don't even touch crypto until they've sold something. So there's a real economic incentive for them to get over that technical barrier um, in a way that they probably don't otherwise have. It's like, hey, there's like a thousand bucks here waiting for you. All you've got to do is figure out how to use MetaMask. Okay. And then all of a sudden you've got ETH. Well, why the hell do I want ETH? What's ETH? and they'll probably just sell it first as quickly as they can to get it out of the system. But in doing so, you know, they've then got to get a wallet and another wallet and they've got to figure out how to move it between fiat. And it's still a bit clunky, but there's an incentive for them to figure it out. And, um, uh, and, and, you know, by doing that, they then begin to understand its concepts, gas, shit, like, is it worth me selling this thing right now gas costs are really high what's gas costs why are they high like mm-hmm. they just have to begin to understand concepts because it's financial imperative for them to to figure it out right
1: um and they immediately and then, hate it and they're like what is this commissions why, yeah, right? what right was talking to further they're like why is this metamask taking all these commissions like, I don't like this at all, taking too many of my commissions. Like, well, it's actually, it's Ethereum and it's the gas fees and it's the miners and they're verifying the transactions. And I showed I, I showed her a really cool link to uh, txstreet.com, which is like a little visualizer that shows you all the transactions that are happening on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they look like little South Park characters and they're getting on buses. And it's like, oh, these little transactions are getting on the bus. And like, oh, this bus is now full and it's taken off and look, Oh, look at all these people who are coming out of the Uniswap subway. Look at all these transactions. And, it's, and it's, it just really shows them like, oh, damn, there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't even understand what this means. But I, I love that point that you made. It is um, And I think Joel and I, we talked about this a couple years ago where we said NFTs could be like a Trojan horse as adoption for crypto. It could be because if they're going to be everything and anything that's not food and some things that are food because with the supply chain and stuff, like and you're gonna know where this stuff comes from, you know, it it is. People are starting to get really excited about it, and uh they're having a lot of fun with it. But there's also a little bit of backlash right now about NFTs. And I want I want to get your thoughts on on that because there's some there's a subset of people who are like, eh, NFTs, right. Yeah, well, I
2: mean, so, you know, to your point, I wouldn't say could be, I mean, I would say it is in that um, you look at NBA Topshop, right? You know, this is, that's like a crossover moment. Um, And, you know, this stuff is beginning to inform popular culture. I mean, like with everything, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of noise and a lot of nonsense, and that's the messiness of a new innovation. Um, But on the whole, you know there are people now, and one of the byproducts of that, by the way, is that they then discover Bitcoin and they understand the concepts of sovereign money and sovereign wealth, and like th- these aren't these aren't big leaps to make if you like cross over into say gaming. So if you think about gaming as it is today, um, they uh, gaming is is two gaming engines, right? Primarily, um, everything's built on two gaming engines and almost every platform is closed and the digital wealth that you've got in that platform is the the fiscal and the monetary policy is controlled by a single corporation. You cannot transfer the wealth off that platform. You can't even transfer out into fiat, let alone anything else. Um, And you know, what the whole COVID thing has really shown is people are spending more time and money in virtual worlds and in gaming. Um, They are investing time and money and they can't get it out. Like when they get bored of the game or like whatever it is, they, they can't get it out. And so there are billions of dollars of digital value that is currently trapped, locked in uh, platforms. Um, and so all you gotta do is say, okay, well all of a sudden, and by the way, Tim Sweeney, CEO of Epic, who you know, obviously created Fortnite and the Unreal Gaming Engine, he's already talking about the open metaverse. He already understands the context of, of NFTs. And the idea is that, you know, the minute that you could make that digital wealth transferable and it's transferable infinitely, right? Because I can, if I can exchange that wearable for any other wearable or any cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, ETH or whatever it is, it's going to have more value because it's going to have more liquidity. Um, So not only can I, um, not only is it kind of, a more open economic system as a consequence of being a more open economic system, the assets in it will have greater value. Um, More people can participate in them. greater liquidity. So, I mean, that is like billions and billions of dollars of already purely digital wealth sat on somebody's server uh, that is ready to be onboarded into this open economy that we've got. And we're already seeing NFTs being used as a form of collateral in DeFi People are borrowing and lending against NFTs now. So if, if you kind of connect those two things, right, you are a 18 year old semi esports player, like almost all of your wealth is, is a digital form, probably going to be like that for the rest of your life. Um, but you need to eat. Maybe you want to buy something in the real world or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I'm going to want to borrow and lend. I'm financially excluded at the moment. Right. All my, I, I can't go to a bank and say, yeah, I've got $2 million worth of wearables in Fortnite. Can you give me a mortgage? You know, the fuck are you talking about? Um, but in this space, in DeFi, you know, you can borrow enough to get a mortgage. I can guarantee you by the end of this year, there'll be a mortgage collateral backed by NFTs for over a million dollars. Well, let's, let's talk about probably that probably a because… You're
0: deep down the DeFi rabbit hole as well. And obviously, you know, you're marrying the two here. So um, we're already starting to see some playing with this, right? Meme coin did a thing where, you know, you buy the meme coin, you stake the meme coin, you earn pineapples uh, while you're holding your coin. And then the pineapples can be used to purchase NFTs. That's like, that's like a level one, but how does this get more sophisticated? What does it look like?
2: Yeah, so there's two interesting ways that DeFi and NFT interplay. So you're absolutely right. On the one hand, if you look at the problem with DeFi, you look at the kind of summer, uh, 2020 summer, where you had all these food protocols, you know, it was like, it was just yield hunting. So people were kind of just offering up yield to suck in billions of dollars of liquidity into a fork of a, you know, a previous DeFi protocol. <clears throat> so if you think about that in a marketing context, you know, that's, that's the acquisition strategy. Okay. You're offering yield somehow. Um, and but you can't run that in perpetuity unless it's linked to an income, like an actual income bearing yield. You you can't just infinitely manufacture artificial yield without any kind of real income. It's a marketing campaign. It's temporal. You don't run a constant marketing campaign of subsidized marketing. Right. Um, so, and then also if you do just do that, then you end up with very promiscuous behavior. People are just looking for the next biggest yield. Um, that's, that's not how you grow a sustainable network. So the cool thing about NFTs are, in a, if you think about them in a marketing context, yields the acquisition strategy and NFTs are the loyalty mechanism, right? So I can reward loyal behavior in the system without debasing my underlying Currency by just giving a load of it away all the time, Um, I can reward positive behavior by an additional form of value, which you could, like, in simple terms, regard as loyalty points, right? Um, And if you look at things like Arve and Arve Gotcha, taking it to the next level, where these loyalty points is actually a game. They built a game on top. You earn NFTs. You can then battle these NFTs, and so they've basically created like a loyalty game on top. And so it kind of closes the loop. You end up, you can acquire new users and you can retain them. And actually, they're they're now two levers for DeFi to become more sustainable. Um, The second one um, is this idea that NFTs themselves become collateral. And so, uh, and, and there's going to be a spectrum there. So in the future, there will be income bearing NFTs, which will be securities. Um, and there will be ways in which they can be handled in the context of DeFi once you solve for counterparty risk. Like, as, if I'm an institution, I can trade um, security NFTs in DeFi as long as I know the other counterparty is is an approved or accredited person. And there's there's ways that that's that's being solved for, which I probably won't go into now. But it's being solved; it will happen. What's happening now is that. Let's say I've just bought a Beeple, right? Or, uh, well, I'll do two examples. So let's say I bought a Beeple. Um, that's now a blue chip NFT, right? It's over a million dollars. Like most people can't afford to buy a one over a million dollars. Well, there's two ways I, I can make that more accessible. And the problem is if you've got, like, if you're the person who bought a uh, million-dollar Beeple, there aren't, there aren't too many people in the market to buy a million-dollar Beeple right now. It's like a market of maybe five, Maybe, um, so it's incredibly illiquid. Um, Those so, who got
1: all in the, the, the Ethereum at five cents and got a truckload of them, and they're like, "Damn, look at me now, mama."
2: Well, I, I did say uh, late last year that nfts would be the lambo of uh 2021 right uh so rather than buying a lambo you you, you get an nft and, and that's happened it's crypto punks whether it's crypto so it's win
1: lambo cats. win nft Is
2: that what it is now y- yeah pretty much it's, it's and we'll maybe you get into this you know nfts are a form of status they're st- status atomized is how i kind of look at it um but uh but yeah, so there, you 've got to be people The only two ways you can get liquidity from that. you fractionalize it, and people have done that with b20 and people are doing it with uh, other forms like sharding, um, or you you borrow against it, right? you, you kind of take out a loan, um, and so there 's things like a niftyfi.com, led by a South African out um, a South African called Stephen. And, you know, they're already doing loans against uh, CryptoPunks. I don't think they've done a Beeple one yet, but it'll, it'll happen soon. Um, you know, people want short-term uh, liquidity against an illiquid asset. And so borrow and lending's lending is already happening. Um, and, and, and then the, the kind of third example is when I kind of use this gaming reference. So let's take Axies, right? So Axies is a play-to-earn game. You, you need axes, these kind of cute little weird annals uh, as gaming cards. You need them to play the game. And the, the more valuable the axe, the better you'll perform, the, the, higher, the higher kind of level you can play within that system. Um, and you've got now whole villages in, say, the Philippines who make a living from churning, playing uh, axes. Um, and they don't want to, they they need to pay rent or they need to put food on the table. They can't feed people with axes, but they can't sell the axe because then they can't play the game. So what they're doing is they're taking out short term loans. It's like a, I don't know what what the equivalent is in a, a pawn shop, right? P A W N, not not P O. Yeah, you you had Travis going for a second there. <laughs> yeah, he's some guy, he woke up all of a sudden. I was like, what's the
1: URL? I'm gonna yeah. check it
2: out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, there will also be porn NFTs, um, but that that's a different uh, topic. There already are, by the way.
0: In the past yeah. 48 hours, I've received two press releases via email of adult stars releasing their own NFTs, which, of yeah. course, we affectionately refer to as NF titties.
2: <laughs> well, look, so you'll have OnlyFans. fans will definitely be powered by it. I actually had somebody slid up into my DMs uh, and they have they've, they've created something where uh they they use deep fake content so they'll take like original porn and then they'll load up different faces on it and then they're selling them as nfts and I'm like oh man I can't touch that but it's it's interesting right um so anyway, but like, we, it's interesting until they use your face on it. <laughs> hey, I, it depends on what the body is, right? It's probably <laughs> it's gonna be, that is true. <laughs> you know, feel free, uh, feel free to uh, upgrade me by by all means.
1: Yeah. Oh, Travis Holmes, nice to meet yeah, you. Yeah,
2: right there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, so people are borrowing lending, and it, like, play to earns a big thing. People you know, they want a short term loan against an asset that they don't want to let. Let go of because they need to need it to play the game, and so this is this convergence of NFTs and DeFi, and in combination, I refer to it as um, the Open Metaverse OS operating system. Right, it's a open economic system that's going to suck in value that is both a digital representation of something physical or something entirely virtual, and I mean the, the use cases are infinite.
1: You know, actually, this is you pose a really interesting question because I think it was just yesterday that I'd stumbled across a a project. I believe it was called Teller, teller Teller.finance. And they're doing something where they're using NFTs as credit, right? So that, and they're actually doing this where they're selling NFTs. And then if you buy these NFTs, I think you're going to be able to borrow X amount of DAI without collateral utilizing the NFT within DeFi in some way, right? And so there's some really interesting use cases on this. And if you, you know, and I think that collectively, I mean, we, Joel and I, we've been buying NFTs since CryptoKitties, right? I mean, so we got all kinds of little cool, cool NFTs. And, and this was one of the things that we talked about early on. It was like, dude, eventually we're gonna be able to somehow stake our NFTs or borrow against our NFTs because we don't necessarily want to sell our NFT, but yeah. oh, I just got this really cool Boss Logic NFT, or I got one of these other cool NFTs, and I want to borrow against it because I feel the price is going to be more valuable over time. And I should just be able to pay that out. So it looks like some of these solutions are popping up. We're using NFTs as collateral for borrowing against it. Like this is a whole new world. Yeah. Well, and you just think about the
2: financial inclusion part of that, right? I mean, it's a global permissionless market you're going to end up with as you say um entirely native forms of credit um and um you know ways of people people maybe vouching for other people and like this is this is going to happen right because it's not dependent on one company and what I love about defi despite all of its you might say faults is it is it's it's competition max right i mean this thing is primed to optimize out inefficiency um, and it is primed to to deliver yield and you've got this constant tension of trying to give yield and remove inefficiency and if you compare that to the existing financial system like do you think your bank is trying to remove inefficiencies for you you know i don't think so because they've got no interest in in doing it right it's a closed game you can't you can't play there the barrier to play is too high and so I, I actually think that if you look at DeFi as a whole, I don't know what it is now, but it's probably sub one percent of crypto generally even uses DeFi. Like most people in crypto don't even use DeFi, um, and and so of course that that's some issues around whether it's slippage, whether it's uh, you know front running, whether it's um, usability and UX. But it's also largely because. Most people don't understand or care about the underlying collateral that's in the system at the moment. It's largely stable coins and various other things. So, um, you know, the great thing is there'll be a very strong economic imperative for people to, to to look at DeFi once you're sat on a bag of NFTs that you don't want to liquidate. And, and this isn't just individuals, it's collectives, right? We're already seeing DAOs now set up to acquire Uh, people, you know, pooling money to be able to participate at the higher end of the NFT art market. Um, And, you know, they're doing that bootstrapping collections. And so I'm just super, my mind's blown by it constantly and I'm just super excited by it. And I just feel it's inevitable, right? It's
0: all happening. As I look at the different chains that are issuing NFTs and the hype around it, I believe that we're at the beginning of the early adopter cycle, which is typically when, you know, the media jumps in and we see this bubble. We see people go for $69 million. We see Nifty Gateway every day doing solid six figures, selling out pieces of work that are completely out of the reach of regular people. And it's my contention that, the art portion of the nft world is where the bubble is if there is indeed a bubble would you agree
2: so so i remember having these types of conversations in 2017 like going on a show like cnbc squawk box or whatever and you know they they want to they always want to start with the question is it a bubble and like i always like for me my question is well what is a bubble I mean, for me, a bubble is just when a market can't price a nascent technology that it knows is going to be important, but it's very nascent. And so it knows, I mean, I think to most people, it's increasingly obvious NFTs as a a neutral technology, there's going to be millions of use cases. But how do you price that? Like, you know, it's very, very difficult. It is different
0: um, from what they were talking about when they were talking about bubbles in 2017, because they were looking at, you know, not just Bitcoin, but ICOs. And of course, the governments came in and said, no, bad people don't do ICOs. And I don't know that the, that bubble would have necessarily burst how it did if the government didn't get involved. And I don't see how the government would even begin to get involved with NFTs.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, so when we say governments, we really mean the U.S. US government, right? Right, um, yeah, the land of the, the world, free, home of the yeah, brave, you know. Right, you know, the rest of the world kind of got on with it. Okay, China, you know, ha- had its moment, but that, you know, that's China. So there's, there's two parts to that, right? So to, just to answer your first question, is it a bubble? Um, I would say that there are, I would say where a lot of the value is flowing at the moment in the context of NFT art, It's actually not a bubble. Um, And the reason being that I always like to evoke Marshall McLuhan when I talk about NFTs, right? And and how you understand the value of NFTs in the context of art. So with NFTs, the medium is the message, right? So people pay too much attention to the content of an individual NFT. Do I like its aesthetic? Well, I remember when I first looked at CryptoPunks, I was like, geez, these things are never going to be worth anything, right? You know, two D voxelated art, like you know, by a bunch of nerds collecting it. Like, who's going to care about it? I, I didn't. I didn't grasp why they would have value initially, but it's become increasingly and and not just you know, the crypto punks. Like many of the first very kind of self referential crypto art, right? Um, i now I've come to understand that what people are buying is status in the provenance of NFTs as a movement, right? Cultural movement, a meme, um, and a kind of technological movement. And so something like CryptoPunks is valuable um, because it was one of the first or the first generative art project doing things on chain, right? Uh, And there's a few other contenders to that, but it was only the one properly done at scale. Now, if you're Mark Cuban and you want to come into the NFT space and be credible, even though you've not had anything to do with the space before, um, the best way you can do that is to pay a premium to buy some status. And how he's doing that is he's buying CryptoPunks to show he understands what's important in the context of NFTs. And so he'll pay a premium for that. And there's many more people coming into the space who'll pay that premium. And you're seeing... There's this like treasure hunting at the moment, like crypto cats was the next one because everyone going. Well, what was the thing that came after crypto punks? Oh, it's crypto cats, and um, so a lot
0: of the value. The, the, is f- the cats are the kitties are offended. They are crypto kitties. They are not crypto cats, and so they want you to know that.
2: Well, you, you, so crypto kitties and crypto cats are two different things. Oh, there right? is a crypto yeah. cat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. stand oh, cool. corrected. Come on, then, Mister Know yeah, yeah. So, case, so i just offended the cats yeah crypto yeah. no, so, wow. cats is like a pixelated version of you know cats but it's a similar generative art thing um so you know what you're doing is you you're buying remember I said earlier this atomized status right this is a i'm showing i understand the provenance of this thing its its context in the history of nfts and how it how it defined the medium how it as an innovation it had pushed forward the medium. So I'm actually doing an audio documentary at the moment, speaking to 50 OGs from NFTs all the way back to counterparty and colored coins on Bitcoin, um, uh, as well as, you know, the people behind CryptoPunks and everything else. Um, there's so many nuances to the space. There's like trash art, right? Nobody's really caught on to trash art at the moment. Trash art came about from when a guy called Robnus got deplatformed from Superair. Deplatforming is gonna be a big theme in the NFT space is something called spam art, you know. So very, very soon, marketeers are gonna figure out that they can see who's got a Beeple in their wallet and drop a NFT flyer in it, you know. So these themes have been explored by creators and artists and and they're gonna become increasingly important. And therefore, retrospectively, the the artists, the creators that were, were commenting on this through NFTs are going to be valued. So I st- I still think there's lots of value in there. I believe and, and that's actually separate to Beeple. Like the reason why Beeple is valuable is you know Beeple was valuable before NFTs. NFTs were just the mechanism through which he achieved it. Beeple's a friend of mine and know him reasonably well. Um and the thing about Beeple is Beeple is a ready-made market, a one-man market. He's got um i think it's 15 years of everydays um uh you know that that's a lot a big back catalog of work um he had millions of followers so he had both supply and demand as as one person and he just chose to put some of it on nifty gateway and he like that one his first weekend of a sale was more than super added in the whole year prior right so he really defined NFTs, And of course, it was natural then that, was it Sotheby's or Christie's? I always get it confused. It was Sotheby's, Christie's. Um, Beeple. Beeple was Christie's. Christie's. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I, I actually think that's all priced. I think it will hold. Um, and you've also got to remember that these things are inherently illiquid. Um, apart from if you fractionalize it with something like B20, you're then adding liquidity into it. So there's not really the price discovery mechanism. It's not like a, an ERC20, you know, kind of token where you've got this huge liquidity. And when the market tanks, all the prices tank, right? Um, as everybody rushes through the door. As I said, for the price of a people, a one million plus people, there's probably only five people on the planet that would buy that today anyway. So the price the price will hold. There'll just be nobody buying it, or nobody to sell it to. So, it's not like it will collapse 90% in value until the next bull run. So, I think they're slightly different. The other thing about NFTs, um, there's a um, platform called nonfungible.com. They've been tracking Ethereum related NFT data, I don't know, longer than anybody. Um, And I was speaking to them early part of this year. And I asked them a question, thinking like to project into the future when it would happen. And they said it's already happened. So NFTs have already decoupled from the wider crypto market. So what I mean by that is Bitcoin price movements do not affect NFT uh, sale prices. Um, And the argument now, they reckon, is that especially with Ethereum, but they also believe to a degree with Bitcoin, NFTs are starting to drive um, the underlying crypto market. Uh, Now, I, I don't know so much about that second point, but I'm pretty sure that they have decoupled And again, to come back to the gaming analogy or music, right? So we've got startups in our accelerator. Some are doing audio NFTs. They've got artists that are going to try and do the first platinum uh, single or album via NFTs in the next quarter. Um, If you've got in-game items for gaming as NFTs, like the gaming industry does not care about Bitcoin and Ethereum. The gaming industry is growing. Um, And therefore, if NFTs... uh, the way that you trade value in gaming which is a growth sector then why should that have a correction because bitcoin or ethereum have a correction they won't and so i think increasingly nfts are going to be a, a totally different beast um and that's why i think i don't think we're anywhere near the top i think this is going to be the value that will happen in probably this year I forget what the number I said was like three X what happened with ICO tokens in seventeen, just this year alone, and I think it could be ten X that beyond this year.
1: Well, you're spot on. You know, I think Joel said it early of last year. He go when we started, you know, really diving into this. It's like 2020 is the year of DeFi, 2021 the year of NFTs. And then uh, maybe 2022 is the year of STOs. We'll have to see. But, well, uh, both we,
2: combining the two. So I think 2022 is NFTs and DeFi. So you DeFi, NFTs, then NFTs and DeFi, right? Well,
1: right on. So, so
2: we're right. going to call it NFDfi. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's the company NiftyFi already, niftyfi.com, but yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it was inevitable. When, once you start to understand NFTs, you can see that all these other financial instruments were going to be created around them. And you mentioned the ability to, you know, oh, looking to see if somebody has a Beeple and then dropping, uh, you know, them another NFT flyer of something for $50. Well, we've, we've been doing that on WAX. And I think that one of the things that, that we think is, is, uh, is crucial is that Ethereum is, I think as, as Jimmy Song says, for the cantillionaires of Ethereum, the folks who have a lot of Ethereum and are wealthy already, they're the ones that are going in and paying the big dollars, as you mentioned, the five people who can afford a Beeple, right? And what we're seeing is a lot of a lot of celebrities and people are going out and basically, you know, pricing their fans out of a lot of these pieces of art on some of these NFTs. But what we're seeing as a solution to that is creating this pack mechanism on wax and allowing people to collect cards in a fun way. And, and we created this thing, called the nifty box and, and uh, everybody who subscribed, you got a king membership or you got the star membership and you got a card. And, and with the tool from Bounty Blocks that we use, Joel's able to go in and say, oh, you have this card, boom, we're gonna randomly drop you one of these assets. Oh, you have the star card, we're gonna randomly drop one of these assets to you. And in fact, that's how we promoted our first you know, release of Blockchain Heroes is saying, hey, Who's everybody who has a Topps Garbage Pail Kid NFT or which wallets have at least one NFT And I think that's what we did. And then we sent out like 14,000 NFTs to folks and it cost us like, what, $15 to do that. Can you imagine sending 15,000 NFTs on Ethereum, how much that would cost? It cost us less than $20 to do that. And so I think that some of these chains are going to evolve. Maybe Ethereum is going to evolve to do some of just the high class stuff. But a lot of the other stuff is not going to be on those chains. They're going to be on chains specifically for NFTs because those gas prices are pricing people out. And quite frankly, pissing off a lot of people's fans. Like, I can't afford that. I don't even know how to get that. What do I do? This is upsetting. And so, you know, delighting, delighting folks, I think. And this whole NFT space is going to evolve. We're in such an early stage of this thing that uh, it's fun watching it and it's fun to help pioneer it and to see where it's, where it's all tracking. It's, it's definitely wild. And that's not a question. That's just me talking.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, Flow's interesting, of course, what, what Dapper Labs are doing. We're actually, um, we've backed a project called Unique Networks, which is going to have the first NFT parachain on Polkadot. You know, configured exclusively for NFTs. You've got, as you say, Wax. There's a lot of activity happening there. So there are alternatives. Um, we've got um, uh, NFT42, which for now is working with Ethereum. I think one of the interesting things, and I, I think this is true for DeFi as well, by the way. Um, you know, DeFi, in a way, gas is an in, is an interesting constraint. On the sandbox because you got to look. You said it's super early. You got to look at this as a sandbox, right? There's experimentation happening, and in a way, it's it's probably not a bad thing right now that um, most things in DeFi aren't affordable, right? It's like there's this barrier to play. You got to really know what you're doing to kind of play in that space, and I think the, the the same is true for Ethereum. But of course, that doesn't hold when you want to extend it into kind of all these things that are low value, effectively microtransactions. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I think it's a super interesting space. Um, I, I, I think Ethereum's, potentially Ethereum's moat. And by the way, I'm like totally agnostic. I don't care who solves it. And I, I actually like a healthy ecosystem and multiple uh, solutions. You like multiple.
0: the don't carry them, Twain, Chain Twain, Chain it was a good joke until i stumbled on my own
2: tongue. <laughs> oh, i'm a fan, I'm a fan of don't car- don't carry them that's that's insane. oh sorry got you got you got you yeah, yeah. i mean you know it, i'm not dogmatic about this stuff right i um i just want things to work for the companies i'm investing in because i'm investing in companies and they're trying it's like hard enough being a startup and trying to find product market fit without introducing all these new new points of friction um so whether that's Ethereum or something else, I don't really care. Now, what I would say in Ethereum's defense, and I, again, like I'm not you know, here to advocate for Ethereum or otherwise, but what Ethereum has for now is DeFi. And like coming back to this idea of NFTs and DeFi, I think the challenge that, that a lot of NFT platforms, dedicated NFT platforms will have, is that they have to, for now find a way for the NFTs on their protocol to work with Ethereum's DeFi ecosystem. Um, But again, maybe that's a short-term thing.
1: So since we're talking about all this stuff on NFTs, I just want to say that this is a momentous moment in the moment of now because I just acquired my favorite, most sought-after NFT of all time, Joel, the Forever Mamba. Oh, you got it. My boss logic. Oh, yeah, the price was going down significantly and I was able to snag one one of the most beautiful NFTs of all time by Boss Logic, in my opinion. It's Kobe Bryant, and he's, he's, doing, a, he's doing a fadeaway, and he's, like, he's got a halo over him, and there's like wispy ghostness around him. It's just so unbelievable. You can see that on Nifty Gateway. Look at the, at the stats. I mean, there's amazing artists doing amazing stuff, and this whole crypto world plus art is just exciting, Jamie. We're glad to have you on the show to help talk about it with us, and it's great to, great to finally meet you.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Look, if we're going to shill teas, then let me shill one back at you. Shill away. Um, so there's a young artist named Nahiko. I'm trying to just remember his Twitter username because I'm bidding on one of his pieces live right now, and I hope you guys haven't made me lose it. I'm going to never listen to your podcast again if that happens. Hey, it
1: wasn't um, me. Don't blame me. Uh,
2: so yeah, he's, he's Nihiko, Nahiko. N-A-H-I-I-K-O.
1: N-A-H-I-I-K-O. N-A-H-I-K-O.
2: Yeah, and he's just, done a, he's just hacked IPFS, and he, he always explains how he's done it. It's his digital graffiti, but it's also a commentary on the medium of NFT and how there's a lot of vulnerabilities. One piece of artwork that I bought is an NFT where he can change the header, the title of it, without my, without my permission. And again, it's like a commentary on metadata and things that are going to be increasingly important when people think they've got this unique asset that they control, and actually, no, you don't. He can change the image, change the title. You know, he can hack PFS where a lot of metadata or associated assets are stored. So there's a lot of vulnerabilities, and his artwork is a commentary on all of that. So, um, yeah, that's my, that's my shill. Excellent.
0: Well, Jamie, we appreciate you coming on, sharing with us, and tell us where people can track you down and stalk you like crazy people.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wish I wish I had more stalkers. To be honest with you, it's been a, it's been disappointing how few. Um, but maybe maybe you change that.
0: I'm sure that we have some people that would love to stalk you. How do they do oh, it? Great, great. Uh,
2: so it's at Jamie two four seven on Twitter. Can find Outlive Ventures outliveventures.io. Ventures.io. Shameless plug. If you are a Web three startup, DeFi or NFTs or or otherwise um you can apply to our accelerator outliveventuresio slash base camp and at the top you said we will accelerate 50 startups this year it'll be 100 um Mm. which is three times what we did last year which will make us the world's leading web3 accelerator fantastic well
0: congratulations there you go guys stock it will jamie welcomes you thanks again jamie we appreciate it thanks for having me on guys a lot of fun
1: speaking of dead birds (laughs) (laughs) Really tired of Twitter. I'm really tired of Twitter, Uh, Uh,
0: dude. It's it is it is so ridiculous. All you got to do on Twitter is look at what's trending. And the bias is so glaring. It is so amazing how slanted it is. And if people if you don't see it then your head is so deep in the sand. I mean, it there's is so, so much obvious. bias
1: and so much bile. And you know what I've noticed is that the most hateful people are the ones that, that don't put their picture on there. It's like, they yeah. just have an anonymous, it's almost like there's gotta be like a bot farm army of hateful bastards that don't have their picture on there.
0: <laughs> that's they the name how actually
1: horrible you are, but they don't even show their face.
0: That that's the name of their club though. The, the hateful bastards,
1: the hateful bastards. Yeah. yeah at, at hateful bastards.
0: On, on the Twitters.
1: Uh, so, so this th- interview with Jamie was pretty solid, man. He was We talked about some cryptos mm-hmm. and uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs, mm-hmm. and DeFi. And uh, speaking of DeFi, Kava is doing some really cool stuff with their DeFi platform. Actually, Binance and Whoopi and some other major uh, exchanges use Kava for their one-click DeFi solution. And they have a platform. They have this huge suite of different DeFi products. One where you can kind of swap out your cryptos, Uh, one it's like a money exchange, one where you can save your cryptos, one you can earn, get loans on your cryptos. So Kava's bringing things together, it's kava.io. They are on all kinds of exchanges and you should go check out their platform, they just launched their mainnet number number five and uh, actually the mainnet's actually popping up on on the 31st I believe, so coming soon, cool stuff. Did you
0: say there's an exchange called Booby? Whooby. Oh, I think you said booby, the booby exchange.
1: The booby exchange.
0: Isn't that where, like, if you know you want a breast reduction or enhancement, you go to the booby exchange?
1: Yeah. But I mean, how do you pronounce it? It's H U O B I. It's whooby. Booby. Boobies. (laughs) And then F titties.
0: Right. I mean, you can never go wrong with boobies. And dead
1: birds. We hey. just went off the rails in this episode. It's four ninety nine. so what are you going to do, folks?
0: Right, 500 is next. And, of course, we were hoping for our typical centennial episode to interview John McAfee, but John is, um, you know, being detained and in a uh, Spanish prison, so he's not doing an interview. And, uh, you know, I actually put a tweet out to Mark Cuban since he's talking about NFTs so much. I'm like, come on the show! So if you guys... want to hit them up, uh, then feel free to tweet at Mark Cuban, say, do do an interview with Bad Crypto for episode number 500. They want you to come on. Well, technically,
1: episode number 500 is going to be bad news. Well, but
0: we could – I mean, if we had Mark Cuban on, we could adjust that, couldn't we?
1: We could. You know what? We should maybe find that uh, for episode 500. We at least need to have John McAfee in it. So whenever he calls us the glorious bastards or whatever he called us, the badasses of crypto or something like that little – a little clip we need to make sure we put that in there.
0: All right. Note to uh, to producer Aaron, we got to hear from John McAfee in episode number 500 uh, by Hook or by Crook. And I uh, think we should
1: still put him on, we should still maybe put him on the, the cover art, like in a tiny little John McAfee, like in honor of, in, in a memoriam,
0: little, in a little cell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> he, he's actually a really oh, good. All the cheer. other jailbirds.
0: he's really of good cheer you know from the tweets that are out there he's like you know this isn't this isn't too bad i'm I'm meeting interesting people
1: (laughs) yeah he goes my cellmate's a mass murderer other than that it's cool
0: i'm making new friends you know it's it's uh it's all right all right gang thanks for listening be sure you check out the nifty show as well now twice weekly for your nft pleasure in your ears on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And uh, we'll catch you on the next
1: round. So stay back.
0: and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.
1: Oh, that's true. We have gone afoul in this episode. So it's time we end this thing.
0: Birds of a feather
1: are dead. Yeah. <laughs>